Hello, this is Sharon Gill of Skepsis Telecom. If you'd like to hear a little bit about uh, fighting patent trolls, then listen to our podcast. This is IP Friday. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle Hello, happy holidays, and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more. Both Rolf and I are very happy that you have decided to tune into our podcast today. The response to our joint efforts have been remarkable, and we look forward to sharing IP news, interviews, and developments with you in the coming new year. To celebrate this holiday season, we invite you to leave us voicemail by clicking on the button on the right side of our website at ipfridays.com, or use the feedback page to leave us a comment at ipfridays.com backslash feedback. Following a random drawing of names, we will choose and announce a total of three winners who will receive complimentary Christmas mugs from an authentic German Christmas market in Cologne, Germany, Rolf's hometown. We will take care of shipping no matter where you may be. Make sure to note your email address so we can get in contact with you should you win. We encourage you to stay in touch with us so we get to know you as our listeners. Also, feel free to note any topics or recommended interview guests that would be a good fit for our program. From Cologne, Germany, to Minneapolis, Minnesota, and all points in between and worldwide, we wish you and yours a wonderful holiday season and Happy New Year. Just hear the sleigh bells jingling, ring, tingling too. I am Rolf Klesen, and I also want to wish you a peaceful holiday season and a successful new year. Today we will learn about how to fight non-practicing entities, also sometimes called patent trolls, from someone who has been fighting against NPEs. But before we jump into the interview with Sharas Jill, who has been fighting patent trolls, Ken Suzanne has a story about a really important change in the procedures of the USPTO regarding the renewal of trademarks. So, Ken, take it away. Ralph, the United States Patent and Trademark Office is about to tie a string around your finger in the form of email reminders for trademark maintenance deadlines. When dealing with trademark deadlines, it is critical that they be followed to avoid unnecessary cancellations of registrations. In order to prevent forgetting registration maintenance filing deadlines, the United States Patent and Trademark Office will begin sending out courtesy reminders beginning in early 2015. The reminders will be sent to all email addresses of record as listed within the correspondence and current owner sections of the USPTO records for the registration. This will apply to Sections 8 and 71 declarations and Section 9 renewals. It is such a simple idea that you may wonder why this has not been offered in the past. If this idea catches on, it could spark other similar opportunities for reminders in other fields. In order to receive these courtesy emails, the owner of the registration must meet three requirements. First, the registration must be live on the date of sending. Second, 
there must be a valid email address to the USPTO. Third, the registrant must have authorized email communications with the USPTO. The USPTO states that the reminders will only be sent via email and not by regular mail. If an email reminder is sent to an undeliverable email address, no further attempts will be made to the registrant to remind of the upcoming maintenance deadline. It is critical that the email address be valid, checked, and up-to-date. The USPTO also recommends that emails from the USPTO be added to a safe senders list and that email programs not consider their communications as junk email. If the upcoming USPTO reminders are not desired, there is an opt-out mechanism for the program. Registrants will need to delete the relevant email addresses on file with the USPTO using the T's change of correspondence address and change of owner's address forms. Those are all available at www.uspto.gov. Thank you, Ken, for this really important update regarding the procedures before the USPTO. And now we have an interview with Charis Jill, who has been fighting IPCOM and other non-practicing entities in the so-called mobile phone wars. I'm very excited to be joined by Sharas Jill today. He is Managing Director of Skepsis Telecom. Skepsis Telecom is basically a revocation straw man and he is heavily involved in the phone wars. And one particular case that is interesting to me is Nokia and IPCOM. So thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you, Rolf. It's um, an absolute pleasure to, to be here and have this opportunity to uh, give my take on the patent space as it currently is. Um, I should probably tell your listeners a little bit about myself first. Um, I think that will probably be helpful. Um, I've worked in all areas of, of the patent world. I started life as an EPO examiner many years ago in 1990. Um, worked primarily in the computers field, progressed through um, the EPO, finally left after 15 years, qualified as European patent attorney and then subsequently as a, a barrister. In the UK, so I've, I've worked. Um, I worked at all levels. I've done patent prosecution in private practice briefly. I've done it in-house for Qualcomm. I've done litigation. I was involved in some of the early mobile phone wars, um, particularly the Qualcomm uh, Nokia cases, um, going back to like 2007, I think it was. I subsequently jumped to HTC and defended many of their cases um, in Europe. Again, most of which were against trolls, in fact. So. But I've done a lot of litigation, principally in Germany, which is where the biggest problem for, for HTC was. Uh, and I think that's probably um, a view that most mobile phone manufacturers who sell into Europe would actually share. Um, Germany is, is, is a rather difficult um, jurisdiction for them. So, so that's my background. Would you like to hear a little bit about um, the straw man and what Skepsis does? Yes, exactly. So a revocation straw man, like a, a particular company for revocation, is quite new to me. So um, I think it was very helpful in the mobile phone wars. Uh, maybe you can tell our listeners about what a revocation straw man exactly is and what your company is doing and um, in particular, how you fit in the overall litigation strategy? Well, I think many practitioners will be familiar uh, broadly with the concept of straw man, um, right. because it's, it's something which um, is quite widely used nowadays at the European Patent Office uh, in the opposition procedure. 
many European patent attorneys uh, offer a straw man service. There were some decisions of the Enlarged Board of Appeal back in the late 90s, which um, basically allowed this approach. Um, so, so what you're really doing is, you're, you're, if you want to get a patent revoked or you want to challenge a patent, then obviously if you go out and do it in your own name, you run the risk of a counterclaim for infringement because post-grant, the uh, patent can be enforced against you in any of the designated states. Um, and it doesn't matter that an opposition is pending. In theory, an injunction could be granted. So ideally, you would like to be able to, to test a patent without the risk of an infringement claim. And this is basically what a straw man allows. You traditionally go to the European Patent Office, you pay a patent attorney who files the opposition in his name, um, he will help you find the prior art and he will challenge the patent. Um, you of course pay him, you hide behind him. The European Patent Office doesn't really care who the true opponent is. Um, so it, it, it works that it works quite well. And there are quite, there are quite a few straw man cases pending in uh, various oppositions um, on the EPO files. And the way to tell is when the opposition is filed in the name of patent attorney, it usually uh, means the patent attorney is acting as a straw man. Right. So and we, we do that as well. For, sometimes we just use the wife of a patent attorney or something <laughs> as a straw man. Exactly, yes. a good friend. It's, it's fairly common practice. So I think we, we, we've all seen that. Um, what we found um, during my time at HTC was that um, often opposition wasn't the best way to go. And I, I'm a, you know, as a former examiner myself, I'm a little bit skeptical about opposition and how effective it is um, when you're dealing with litigation. Um, the biggest problem with opposition, I think, is that it's so slow, and it really slow, it really takes can take four to five years. You've got appeals which have suspensive effects. Decisions in the courts are still enforceable in that time unless the court decides to stay. So opposition is very slow. The revocation rate, uh, I, I looked at figures recently, um, the revocation rate of EPO patents is only about 50%, and it's been consistently around 50% for, for quite a few years. So, you know, if you, if you, if you bring an opposition at the EPO, you've got a 50-50 chance of, of killing the patent. Um, it may be um, the patent gets re revoked um, in its entirety, but, but, you know, if it doesn't it, and it stands up, then assuming it's not amended, you're in trouble. And even if it is amended, you may still be in trouble. So, so there's, a, there's, a lot of, there's, a, there's a lot to be worried about there, I think, uh, particularly when you're looking at um, um, an infringement action in a national court. So we and the other problem, of course, is and you know this is a German practitioner. Um, the Federal Patents Court in Germany, um, which is responsible for the validity, uh, assessing the validity of, of granted European patents with the German designation and indeed German national patents, um, will not will not consider um, a validity an invalidity case while an EPO opposition is pending. So it wouldn't be admissible. Right. So that's the problem you get. You, see. you, you, if you, if there's an opposition pending, you've got a problem because you can't bring an action in the federal patents court, and the federal patents court, of course, has a much higher revocation rate. Um, many things settle in Germany before you get to a final decision, but you know the statistics I've seen, certainly in the telecom sector, are around eighty percent revocation rate. So you know you really would be better off in the federal patents court. Um, of course, the problem with the federal patents court is it's very slow. Um, it's very slow too. There are backlogs there. Again, it can take you four to five years. And if you have an infringement action pending against you in uh, one of the jurisdictions, the faster jurisdictions such as Mannheim, then you know you could be looking at an injunction on a on a, a patent uh, a complaint. And nine months after the complaint is filed, you know it's usually more like a year, but it could be as, as soon as nine months. 
And you don't have time for the Federal Patents Court to consider the validity. You don't have time for the EPO to act. Um, so, so those 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 two those two um, alternative ways of challenging the patent are not much help to you. So what we ended up doing quite frequently um, at, at HTC was to file UK revocation actions and try to get them expedited. So we get sued in Germany, um, and then we try and get these UK cases. Um, on very quickly. And there's procedures within English law which allow you to do that. Um, you can't do it all the time, but you know, if you can make a case, then the English courts will accelerate the proceedings in order to give guidance to the German infringement courts. And so this is something that um, we did fairly frequent, frequently. We did it against IPCOM, did it against Apple, we did it against Nokia um, most recently. Um, and I'm speaking sort of um, about my experience with HTC, and uh, I know I'm obviously no longer uh, with HTC, but you know, that's where my, my principal experience w was gained, and, and that's really what gave me the idea for Skepsis. Now, what occurred to us um, while I was still at HTC was, wouldn't it be good if we could knock out some of these patents before they became a problem? Wouldn't it be good if we could be proactive? Because when you're an in-house practitioner, you, you, you know which patents are dangerous, because quite often they're asserted against um, your competitors. You'll see that you know the same patents come up again and again and again, whether it's IPCOM or more recently Nokia, Ericsson, whoever whoever's asserting these patents. It tends to be the same patents. So if you if you, if you keep an eye on the court the um, the court filings in in um, in Germany principally, um, and certainly you know the reports that come out on the web, you can see which patents are going to be de uh, dangerous. And quite often you'll get a licensing approach from one of these. Um, licensing companies or whoever's threatening you with the patents. So you've got to know which patents you're worried about. There's usually a period of time between an approach when you first know the identity of the patent and actually getting sued. So it occurred to us that wouldn't it be good if there was some straw man entity out there that actually used court-based litigation rather than the EPO opposition procedure to challenge the validity of these patents. Um, the benefits there are clear because if you can do that, firstly, you're shielded from any counterclaim. Um, you're not in the picture for infringement. The patentee doesn't know it's you. You've also got, if you go to the UK courts, you've got a much higher revocation rate. In the telecom sector, I think only one standard essential patent stood up in living memory. Um, so you're looking at about 90% uh, revocation rate in the English courts. So if you can get this case on in the English courts very quickly and get a finding on validity, then you're really in a good position both for negotiating uh, a license and also possibly for not paying at all if it looks as if the patent's going to be found invalid. Um, and of course, the German courts um, will respect um, the decision of the English courts. They're, they're not obliged to follow it, as you know, but there's a, um, the, the English courts have regard for German decisions and the German courts in the same way have uh, high regard for English decisions. So if you've got an infringement action pending against you in Mannheim and an English revocation uh, is successful, and you file um, a translation of that revocation with the Mannheim court, then there's a very good chance that you will get any injunction granted in Mannheim state, pending mm -hmm. the findings of the Federal Patents Court, or indeed the opposition division, if there's an opposition pending. So it occurred to us that wouldn't it be nice if there were a company that could do that? And of course, we looked around, and there wasn't. Um, there were lots, as we said, of uh, patent attorneys who specialized in EPO proceedings, but nobody was doing um, um, the litigation straw man. Like proactive, no, uh, proactive cancellation or revocation proceedings, basically. Exactly. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, 
and proactive is the way to go in my view and mm-hmm. um, based on my experience and what you find quite often and this is this is regrettable I think many handset manufacturers don't have a strategy they are entirely reactive and they wait to be sued in difficult jurisdictions like Mannheim and I think it will, will be a bigger problem in the unified patents court depending on you know how some of those local divisions play out in the future so to my mind that, that that's just suicide <laughs> it really is you're just asking for trouble you, you're giving the advantage of one the juris- choice of jurisdiction to um, the patentee um, and two they have the benefit of time as well you know you, you've got if you're reactive you're, you're the first time you see this complaint um, you know is is when you first really understand the infringement and you only at that point can start looking for prior art uh, to challenge the patent. Whereas, you know, in, in a, if, you, if you've got nine months um, to, to, an, uh, to a, an injunction in Mannheim, it doesn't give you very long to find the relevant prior art, um, fi- you know, file it with the, the Mannheim courts, you know, in an attempt to get a, a stay there, and, and also um, file possibly foreign uh, uh, revocation actions. So, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not a very sensible way to do it. If you have a strategy, then, a lot, as I say, a lot of these patents would uh, be able to identify in advance and, and be able to knock out before they become a problem. Right. Um, one case is really um, interesting to me um, because it all started the, let's say, um, the awareness in Germany for patent trolls. Um, that was the uh, case IPCOM against Nokia. And you were heavily involved in this case. So can you um, summarize uh, this case uh, from your point of view? Like what kind of proceedings um, were going on concurrently and what strategy did you choose? Yes, absolutely. Um, there, were two, there were two defendants in um, the German cases in, uh, in particular. Those were Nokia and HTC. Rather interesting combination of uh, targets, in my view, given that at the time, I think Nokia was the biggest handset manufacturer in the world. HTC was a, a relatively new entrant, um, but was enjoying some success. They had the world's first um, um, Android smartphone out, um, and, and the, sale, the, sale, the sales were modest but growing. So, you know, um, it, it was an interesting combination of targets. Um, IPCOM sued both um, in Germany. And uh, for reasons of court scheduling, the first decision to come out, um, it was both uh, those cases were in Mannheim, among others. There were a number of cases, but, but the Mannheim ones are the ones I'll focus on. The first decision to come out was actually a decision against HTC back in 2009. And it was the first thing I had to deal with, actually, just after I joined HTC. Um, it was on the so-called 100 patents. And um, I think, as, as many of your listeners will know, IPCOM's portfolio was, per, was, was originally the Bosch mobile phone portfolio. They purchased it um, and then tried to enforce it uh, as a licensing entity. Right. And their whole goal was to, to bring the U.S. licensing style uh, NPE model to Europe and make it work, which, you know, is, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that as long as the patents are of such a quality that they will stand up to litigation or stand up to the close scrutiny that they get. And... I think it was Nokia's view and probably HTC's that um, IPCOM was asking for too much money at the time, um, and so they didn't want to settle. They wanted to challenge the portfolio. In fact, I think 
particularly Nokia was very keen, and I know they dedicated an awful lot of resources to challenging IPcom's patents, uh, far more than HTC, given HTC's sort of um, sales were, were much more modest. What happened, though, um, rather interestingly, was that the first decision to come out um, was in, in the 100 case um, was against HTC, and that was back in I think um, February March 2009. The um, District Court of Mannheim granted an injunction against HTC uh, based on this patent, and they set the bond for enforcement of the injunction at 1 million euros. Now, that bond may seem very low to your listeners, and uh, it seems very low to me at the time. Um, IPCOM duly um, posted the bond and enforced the injunction. And things got very interesting because all of a sudden there was an injunction uh, on a standard essential patent against a handset manufacturer in Germany. And I think anybody who's been following the debate on FRAND knows that um, certain companies, especially uh, Motorola um, in Germany, fairly recently, and that didn't go so well. It resulted, it resulted in an investigation by the European Commission. Um, the fact that those cases were, were actually fairly similar, um, when you, if you go back to 2009, IPCOM at the time were actually um, doing exactly what what um, Motorola and subsequently Samsung did the same thing against Apple. In fact, um, doing exactly the same thing. But the European Commission wasn't interested in um, an investigation at that point uh, for reasons I won't go into. But it, it wasn't. So what, what you got was a rather rather worst possible case for HTC, where they they really couldn't sell their handsets. Um, if they complied with the UMTS standard in Germany. Um, and I think this, this grabbed the attention of the world and um, everybody looked at it and thought, oh, you know, IPCOM really has succeeded in this model. Um, fortunately, that injunction, fortunately for HTC, that injunction was stayed by the, uh, by, by the uh, court in Karlsruhe, um, the Oberlandskrieg. Um, they stayed that, they, they stayed the injunction. And um, that patent was subsequently found uh, was revoked in the English courts. Nokia filed the UK revocation action, and that patent was subsequently revoked in the English courts, and um, has actually a few, a few weeks ago been finally revoked by the uh, German Supreme Court, and um, it was also revoked by the German Federal Patents Court subsequently. Yes. So you had a situation where you have a, a patent which, against for which an injunction is awarded against a handset manufacturer in Germany, um, against a bond of one million euros, um, which turns out to be valid. Um, and, and this is exactly the problem of Germany. And I, I don't want to bash Germany because, you know, there are many good things about the system and the system works very well. And I, I think, you know, I think the, the court in Mannheim has learned a lot over the years. I think they were relatively inexperienced with telecom patents and, and st certainly standards essential patents at that time. And they've dealt with so much litigation in the meanwhile that I think they'd be a lot more reluctant to, to grant injunctions on that basis uh, nowadays. Um, I think you certainly that the bonds that are being required uh, in, the, in, the, in the case of the, of the binding of infringement um, have gone up dramatically to the 100, 100 million mark, depending on handset sales. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a very different environment nowadays, but that's pretty much what happened. There were a whole bunch of other um, IP patents around, um, a number of which were asserted against HTC. Nokia very proactively challenged uh, a great many of uh, IPCOM's patents in the English courts. They used this preemptive approach to attack the patents before they became a problem. And I think the, the, the figures that 
I remember now, I think uh, Nokia issued a press release at one point saying that they challenged roughly 63 uh, of the IPCOM patents wow. and um, <laughs> managed to get them either revoked or significantly amended so that they no longer posed a threat. So Nokia spent an awful lot of money at um, challenging this portfolio. Um, I think the figure I heard at a conference recently um, was 40 million euros, um, but I, I wouldn't want to be quoted on that. But I think it's about 40 million euros. That, that's the figure I, uh, someone, someone suggested that Nokia had actually uh, spent on a challenging uh, IPCOM stance. So obviously, it's a very significant expenditure. Um, the result is, of course, that um, the, as far as we know, anyway, Nokia certainly didn't, uh, didn't settle with IPCOM. Um, that said, you know, the, the, the dispute is ongoing. So it's, you know, and I think it's been going on for, I think, probably six, seven years now. So, you know, I, uh, that's also a measure of IPCOM's determination to in, enforce its um, portfolio. And so it obviously has a belief in its portfolio. And, you know, in, in that sense, you, there's obviously a, um, a balancing exercise to be done against the costs of litigation and the risk to your business against what, the patentee is asking for in terms of um, a reasonable royalty. That's a, uh, you know an internal debate. It's a business debate, I suppose, for the for the uh, CEOs of, of handset manufacturers. But you know, um, if you're going to spend 40 million on litigation and still be in a, a fight at the end of it, um, you have to ask yourself whether whether you know that that was that, that's the right way to go. Um, Obviously, Nokia had their reasons. Um, I think there was a lot of reaction at the time to the idea of a non-practicing entity um, being set up in Europe and, and actually you know, the, the notion that it would perhaps start open the floodgates for other um, NPEs to come in from the US and do the same thing. Right. So I think I think Amazon was unfortunate that it met with a lot of resistance um, within the industry. Um, Deutsche Telekom, Vodafone as well were very involved in those cases. Uh, they were they were the principal defendants um, um, in in several of the actions too. So you know there was there was a, there was a lot of determination to to defeat IPCOM. And you know to IPCOM's credit, they're still going. And um, you know in, in the face of all this, and and you know it's um it, it it's it's rather an interesting situation the way it's panned out. Um, I think, in, you know, in the past, I've been, I would have been perhaps more partisan about the whole situation when I worked for HTC, certainly. Um, you know, because then, then your view is that mm, any NPE that sues you is bad. I don't think it's quite that clear cut anymore. I think, you know, as, as I age and, and learn more about, about sort of the industry, I, I do appreciate that if you invest in R&D and develop technology, then as a patentee, you have a right to recover reasonable royalty. Um, I don't think anybody has a problem with that. I think they, you know, that's fairly fundamental. You should be, the whole purpose of the patent system is to reward innovation. Right. And if you can enforce your patents, then why innovate? So there's a balance, but there's a balance, isn't there? And I think that that's that's where the, the courts have, have let a lot of, um, well, let both sides down, actually, in, in a way, because, you know, these protracted disputes um, don't help anybody. Right. Um, as a manufacturer, you know, it causes instability to your business. There were, there were so many threats of injunctions over the years from IPCOM patents that, um, you know, HTC's and Nokia's business uh, suffered uh, quite significant disruption, I think. Um, and then on the other hand, of course, you can see IPCOM's position where they spent a lot of money buying this portfolio from Bosch, which is a reputable um, company, um, and obviously spent a lot on R&D. 
So they feel that they should have a right to to some to some recompense for for the R and D that that Bosch uh, paid for. And you know, in that sense, you can you can see their point too. Um, I think the, the biggest problem with the Nokia IPcom um, HTC IPcom cases is that they went on too long. They've gone on far too long, and um, there has been sort of a, a, an inability of the court system to resolve this to help to help the parties resolve this. So you know, I, uh, that, that's really my view. Uh, looking back on it, right. So you have been involved in many of the different proceedings and involved for lots of defendants against um, NPEs. What would be your, and you probably developed together with the defendants, you the other defendants, you have developed strategies to fight against NPEs. So what would be your, let's say, five top tips for our listeners if they would be attacked by um, NPE to defend themselves? What, what, uh, what did you learn in the last couple of years? What, what do you want to, um, what kind of lessons do you want to give our lesson, uh, listeners? Well, I think the first thing is, and this, this comes out of really what I've been saying so far, don't wait to be sued. Most of the time, you know which patents are going to be a problem for you. If you wait to be sued, you give the advantage to the patentee. Now, as I said, Mannheim is a, is a preferred jurisdiction for um, many patentees. They like it. It's fast. The scrutiny of validity can sometimes be limited. Decisions can be a little bit erratic at times. There are, it, it's a dangerous place to be taken. And so if you wait to be sued, you're automatically giving the advantage to the patentee. So be more proactive. And I think that flows into probably my second point, which is that do consider using a straw man. The advantages are very clear. You are out of the litigation. You can challenge these patents. You will save a lot of money because there are no counterclaims against you. Um, and you may end up, if you're lucky, having a situation where you don't pay any royalty. But if you wait and you are sued, not only do you lose the advantage, uh, choice of jurisdiction and timing and patents, you also incur higher legal costs because you're, you're filing the invalidity case then uh, retro, um, reactively, um, but also paying for the, uh, to defend the revocation, the infringement case, not to mention the risk to your business if there's an injunction. So, so that's really point two. Do consider using a straw man. It may be that you, know, you feel that the, uh, in the EPO is the better way to go for you. Um, I think enumerated various reasons why I don't think that's the case. Um, and this is obviously going to sound like shameless advertising for Skepsis, but um, <laughs> I, I do actually believe that Skepsis uh, offers a, a very, very effective service in, in situations like this. But for companies that are willing to be proactive, that's when Skepsis works best. If you wait, you've got problems. It doesn't mean that Skepsis couldn't help you. Um, certainly we can get things on, we might be able to get cases on faster in the UK because we're not dealing with um, infringement counterclaims and there are fewer issues. So we might be able to challenge a patent in the UK faster than you can if you were to get sued in Mannheim or one of the German courts. But, you know, um, uh, I think straw men are a good thing. Um, probably point three is avoid the EPO opposition where you can. It's, um, if, you, if you're determined not to use a straw man and you want to, you want to, to do it yourself, then um, the Federal Patents Court is probably the better forum for you. It's not going to be any slower, I think, than the or faster than the EPO. But you know, you, if you ever get that far, uh, as far as a decision, 
you're more likely to get a favourable decision um, in the Federal Patents Court, in my view. Of course, if you file the opposition, then you preclude yourself and everyone else from um, filing the Federal Patents Court uh, nullity action. So um, I think stay out of the EPO. Um, I think if you do get sued unexpectedly, then, particularly in Germany, then do consider filing uh, um, some kind of foreign revocation action. Um, the UK is a traditional go-to venue for that because you can get ex you can get the case expedited. You know, you have it. Uh, you request that it be accelerated, so you, you get a decision to help guide the German court. Um, pretty much, if you get a, an, inv an invalidation from any respected court in Europe, the German courts will, will consider it, and they're they're obliged to under the German Supreme Court case law. Um, so you know, whether you go to the Netherlands, whether you go to the UK. Um, always consider um, filing a, um, a foreign revocation action to, to help provide guidance to the German court. So um, that will be my point four. Um, and I think one thing we discovered in, in Mannheim in particular was that if you can get, if you, if you can get the, the bond um, payable for enforcement and injunction set at uh, a level which is reflective of your potential lost sales, if the patent is subsequently found invalid, then you you know you're in a good position because many trolls will find it difficult to um, post a bond of that size, and I'm 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 talking about I'm talking about the hundred million sort of level. I mm -hmm. think if you can, I mean, Apple succeeded in doing that um, uh, against Motorola, as I recall. I think it was in Munich, but they got the bond set at a hundred million, and then I think they find it very difficult. So you know, if you do have significant sales in Germany, um, do sort of put in affidavits, whatever it takes to demonstrate that your potential lost sales are going to be very, very high. And in that sense, you know, you, you really insulate yourself because it's all right that it's all right a uh, non-practicing entity getting an injunction against you because that's nearly automatic in, in Germany if, uh, if there's a finding of infringement. But enforcing it's another thing. It's a quite separate thing. So, and that requires the, the posting of a bond. And, and, and a lot of people overlook that. And, and, and that's one aspect of the German system. It's actually a safeguard which is built, built into the German system, which I think often gets disregarded. People, don't, people see Germany as a, a dangerous jurisdiction. There are, there are, there are uh, mitigating factors and, uh, and safeguards in the German system which allow, um, allow um, um, a defendant in an infringement case some peace of mind. So if you can get the bond set high, I think that, that's, that's probably the, the final piece of advice I would give. Yeah, very good. So um, one question I have. Um, you're saying stay out of the EPO, and um, this might be um, probably also um, a decision uh, that would be um, relevant to cost issues, right? So many people use the EPO and opposition proceedings to save costs because then they can you know, destroy the patent uh, centrally and they don't have to file revocation proceedings in each and every country. And you are saying, okay, stay out of the EPO because the revocation rate is really low and go national. And that would mean um, that you are suggesting um, file revocation proceedings maybe in the UK first and then also other countries? Or do you think in your experience like one country is enough um no, i'm not saying i wasn't saying the epo revocation it's a very low but they're, they're, they're lower than the national court yeah it's sure lower than the yes and the, and the german so i think i think they're about 50 percent um uh, revocation right. sort of rates at the, uh, the epo um 
you, you make a very valid point there, Rob, because yes, national properties are much more expensive, and yes, a central revocation at the EPO is, is going to be far more cost efficient if you get one. That's the first thing. And the secondly is when you get it. Um, when you're dealing with litigation, then you know costs are less important. Um, I wouldn't say they're unimportant. I'd say they're less important than they are before you've been sued. Yes, because of someone's going to take your ha- someone's going to take your handsets off the market. You know, assuming we're talking about mobile phones, um, you know that that's potentially irreparable um, harm because you know you lose even if you can modify your ha- your handsets or your your um, product to get around the um, infringement you still have this damage done to your reputation, this damage done to your ability to uh, supply, your credibility as, as a supplier is, is undermined. The disruption to your business is something you really don't want as a manufacturer. So, of course, you're willing to spend more money. Right. And, the, and, and that's just a, a factor of life. Uh, and you've got to do it. So suddenly, you know, budgets which were tight become much looser and... A company can be fighting for its life effectively, so it's got to pay. Right. Um, and the lawyers do very well. So, but but in my experience, if you can if you can knock out a patent in the UK, I don't. I would be very surprised if a German court would in, would in, enforce an injunction against that same patent, assuming the claims were were the same. Um, I, I think a German court would stay it right. almost certainly. Yes, yeah. until the until the federal. Patent court decides exactly. basically, and, and then the federal, federal supreme court, court and yes, mm-hmm. and, and they'd want to. And so, and so if, you, if you knock it out in the UK, you've probably knocked it out in Germany, or at least right, or at least delayed delayed the risk until the supreme courts looked at it. And, exactly, and, and because the English courts are fairly reputable and they do a very thorough job, because you know that it's very expensive procedure. You do have expert evidence. You have judges who are, who, who are specialists. Um, you know, the same way you do in Germany. You're going to get a decision which is, you know, well reasoned, and so you again equally be surprised if the German courts didn't follow it. You know, to the extent the facts were the same. So in that sense, you know, you're um, you can be sure the German courts probably will, 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 will try to remain consistent with the English decision. You think the, the Dutch courts as well, which is another sort of uh, popular uh, jurisdiction for um, infringement actions, they would most likely. Um, be skeptical about the validity of the patent if the English court had already found it to be invalid. Um, French courts, well, you know, there's the traditional um, enmity between the English and, and the um, French, but but I, I think that you know the courts do respect each other, and uh, you know I think uh, a fine, uh, an adverse finding on validity will be respect reciprocal, you know, mutually respected. So, in that sense, um, I think you know for the key jurisdictions, if you can knock it out in the UK, you're going to get stays or at least a lot of skepticism from um, courts in Germany, yeah. Netherlands, France, probably probably the majority of, of European courts. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, that was very, very helpful um, to get such um, good insight into fighting NPEs and the strategies involved. So thank you very much for being in the show. And um, I want to ask you to tell our listeners where they could reach you if they wanted to reach you. Um, well, I'm more than happy to do that. Um, firstly, let me thank you for, for giving me this opportunity. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Rolf. Um, the easiest way to, to find Skepsis is to go on our website, which is www.skepsistelecom, and that's Skepsis with a K, S-K-E-P-S-I-S, 
www.telecom.com. And all our contact details are on there, and we'll be more than happy to talk to you. Um, and give, we, we give general advice without any obligations. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a nice chap. Yeah, thank you very much, Harris, for being on the show. Okay, thank you very much, Rolf. Okay, ha have a good evening. That's it for this episode. If you like what you've heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com backslash love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com backslash feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com backslash iTunes and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com backslash voicemail. Also, remember to submit feedback and participate in the chance to win a Christmas mug from Cologne, Germany. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only, and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014, all rights reserved.